Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a terrific show for you today, including guests Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He answers the question, when equality becomes evil... We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several murder mysteries. All excellent. His latest is No Problem. It is November the 7th, and on this day in 1944, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected to an unprecedented fourth term of office. FDR remains the only president to serve more than two terms. Roosevelt rose above personal and political challenges to emerge as one of the nation's most revered and influential presidents. In 1921, at the age of 39, he contracted polio and thereafter was burdened with leg braces, and eventually he was confined to a wheelchair. From the time he was first elected to the presidency in 1932 to mid-1945 when he died in office, Roosevelt presided over two of the biggest crises in U.S. history, the Great Depression, of 1930s and World War II. Of course, I believe that uh, many of the things that he did extended the length of the Great Depression because of the, uh, imposing some of the socialist policies that I believe uh, took place in the uh, 30s. FDR implemented drastic and often criticized legislation to help boost America out of the Great Depression. Although he initially tried to avoid direct U.S. involvement in World War II, which began in 1939, the bombing of Pearl Harbor in December 1941 thrust America headlong into the conflict. By the time Roosevelt was elected to his fourth term, the war had taken a turn in favor of the Allies, but FDR's health was already on decline. His arteriosclerosis hardening of the arteries, and had become worsened by the stress of serving as a wartime president. In April 1945, just over four months after the war finally ended in the Allied victory, FDR died of a stroke at his vacation home in Warm Springs, Georgia. In 1947, when President Harry Truman was Roosevelt's vice president in office, uh, Congress proposed a law that would limit presidents to two consecutive terms. By that time, presidents had either voluntarily followed George Washington's example of serving a maximum of two terms or were unsuccessful in winning a third. In uh, 1912, Th- Theodore Roosevelt ran for a third con- non-consecutive term but lost. In 1951, the second, 22nd Amendment of the Constitution was passed, officially limiting a president's tenure in office to two terms of four years each. FDR. Well, the end of November marks the close of the 2022 Atlantic hurricane season, and there's a little more than three weeks left in the season. AccuWeather forecasters say a tropical threat has emerged just uh, north of the Caribbean and could strengthen into a storm next week. Uh, with, of course, Florida in its crosshairs. A low-pressure system developed on Saturday just south of Puerto Rico. By Sunday, the system, dubbed Invest 98L, moved uh, north of Puerto Rico and has an 80% chance of developing into a subtropical or tropical depression over the next two days. 
It has a 90% chance of developing over the next five days. AccuWeather forecasters warn the tropical rainstorm will become better organized and likely become a tropical storm as it's taking a winding track towards the Bahamas and storm-weary Florida. If it develops into a tropical storm in the Atlantic Basin, it will be named Nicole. AccuWeather storm tracking uh, modeling shows the system is on a westward path and could make landfall in South Florida in the second half of the week. Governor Ron DeSantis and other state officials told Floridians to be prepared for potential tropical impacts. I encourage all Floridians to be prepared and make a plan in the event of a storm impacts Florida. We will continue to monitor the path, of course, and trajectory of Invest98L and will remain in constant contact with all state and local partners as DeSantis has done in the past. The exact landfall timing and location, of course, are very uncertain, but could affect all of us since recovering from Hurricane Ian in September. We'll just hope that stays away, kind of whistling past the graveyard here. Well, Democrat strategist Hillary Rosen expressed alarm during an on-air CNN segment by saying her party did not listen to voters about their economic concerns and decided to focus on other issues. You know what? I think that sums it up pretty well. problem is they not only didn't listen, uh, they just ignored uh, their constituents and instead implemented a uh, group of policies that had nothing to do with the well-being of the American people. I'm a loyal Democrat, she said, but I'm not happy. I just think we should not listen. We did not listen to voters in this election. I think we're going to have to have a bad night, she said. She added, when voters tell you over and over and over again they care mostly about the economy, listen to them. Stop talking about democracy being at stake. Democracy is at stake because people are fighting so much about what elections mean. Voters have told us what they want to hear. I don't think Democrats have delivered this cycle. Uh, This week is a moment where we've all been waiting for. More than 168 million Americans are eligible to vote in the midterm election. Sadly, many of them won't. But more than 40 million have already voted. That's about almost 25% of uh, voters, eligible voters, have already voted. So uh, this is an exciting time. It looks like a, a red wave, to say the least. There is more and more distancing between Republicans and Democrats in these polls as uh, uh, Republicans uh, gain more and more momentum in this election. Uh, Of course, tomorrow is the election, and we'll hopefully see the results on Wednesday. Uh, According to Biden, we won't see him for (laughs) for a week, but uh, hopefully he's not correct about that, as he's not correct about so much. During his latest rally in Miami, uh, Trump cleared the air regarding his comments about DeSantis during his rally in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Uh, while speaking at a packed crowd in Pennsylvania, Trump called the Florida governor Ron Sanctimonious, desanctimonious. Many Trump supporters were surprised the 45th president would take a shot at DeSantis just a couple of days before Florida, Florida's gubernatorial election. Well, it appears that Trump had changed his mind for now about DeSantis because during the uh, rally in Miami just last night, Trump urged Floridians to vote for DeSantis. Trump was quoted saying, the people of Florida are going to reelect the wonderful, the great friend of mine, Marco Rubio, to the United States Senate, and you're going to reelect Ron DeSantis as your governor of the state. For now, it appears Trump has backed down from any more shots at DeSantis, but that could all change if DeSantis runs for the Republican nomination. Trump's original frustration with DeSantis stemmed from Florida governors endorsing Joe O'Day for Colorado Senate's just uh, days after O'Day told CNN that he would actively campaign against Trump. 
Despite all the side drama, conservatives are relieved Trump is putting away any of these feelings he's had towards DeSantis personally and set them aside for one goal, and that's to keep Florida red. So a little vaccine activity going on, and I'm sure that uh, Trump is planning, I guess they're saying he's going to announce it by uh, on, they even predict, November the 14th to announce his candidacy for president. Uh, we'll see how this all turns out. But needless to say, there's uh, uh, going to be a little backroom activity with regard to uh, the power play for presidency of the United States. Joe Biden traveled to Westchester County, New York, uh, Sunday evening to deliver remarks at a Democrat campaign event. During his remarks, old Joe got heckled, <laughs> and he told small gathering, let him holler. He has no idea what he's saying. He's just uh, no idea where he is even. Then he tripped over his own feet, and with just two days left to go into the high-stakes midterm election, Joe Biden confirmed he is for no more drilling. No more drilling. That there's no more drilling. I have formed new. Uh, I haven't formed any new drilling. Biden said to the climate change protester. New York Governor Kathy Hochul clapped and supported Biden's war on domestic oil. And while delivering his remarks in uh, Juliet, Illinois, on Saturday, Joe Biden referred to gathering of protesters outside as idiots because they were carrying signs that read "Socialism sucks" and "Vote pro-life." Biden said, love those signs when I came in, adding, socialism, give me a break. What idiots. Biden was in Illinois stumping to lead the midterm election on Tuesday, and the protesters were stationed outside. The Biden administration has spent over $60 billion funding the war in Ukraine, creating a student loan forgiveness plan that will cost between $300 and $980 billion over the next 10 years a $739 billion Inflation Reduction Act from August, and a $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, and a $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Bill spending plans from 2021. Well, that's real evidence of socialism, no question. In my opinion, he's not socialist, he's communist, and... Uh, Oh, quite frankly, uh, <clears throat> a megaman. I, I, I really believe he's a, he's a, a socialist and a communist. Well, stroke, stroke victims John Fetterman mangles his word yet again as he appears to say he is against abortion at the state Senate race rally with Biden and Obama. John Fetterman misspoke at the Saturday rally in Philadelphia, saying he celebrated the demise of Roe v. Wade. The Democrat Senate hopeful was joined on the campaign trail by Biden Obama. Uh, Fetterman, who has had a stroke in May, has a disastrous debate performance last month against rival Paul, uh, Dr. Oz. Polls have the candidates pretty close, but it looks like Oz is going to pull this one uh, out at, at the uh, <clears throat> in the election. And speaking uh, at a political event aimed at promote his economic policies in Carlsbad, California on Friday, President Joe Biden promised to permanently end coal production in the United States. According to Reuters, Biden said no one is building new coal plants because they can't rely on it. Even if they have all the coal guaranteed for the rest of the existence of the planet, he said. He later added, we're going to be shutting down these plants down all across America and have wind and solar power. He claimed that the U.S. is going to become a wind generation and it's going to save them a hell of a lot of money. And using the same transmission lines, they transmitted the coal-fired plant electricity on. And Joe Manchin, of course, the Democrat senator from West Virginia, said on Saturday that President Biden's recent comments about his administration shutting down coal plants all across America were outrageous and that the president owed coal miners an immediate and public apology. 
Manchin said President Biden's comments are not only outrageous and divorced from reality, they ignore the severe economic pain the American people are feeling because of rising energy costs. Comments like these are the reason the American people are losing trust in the president and instead believe he does not understand the needs of the all-in energy policy that would keep our nation totally energy independent and secure, he said. Well, needless to say, uh, Biden decided uh, he was going to walk uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, tried, made a long statement about, uh, about his energy policy. So Biden's been out stumping, lots of errors, lots of things going on to uh, kind of foil the effort. But uh, nevertheless, the election's tomorrow, and I'm sure they'll look forward to put Biden back in the basement <laughs> and keep him off the trail. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hearing that Lulubee's Diner commercial reminds me that uh, now they're serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. It's going to be terrific. New menus, uh, some of the lunch menus, but also uh, new items at Lulubee's Diner. I hope you check them out for breakfast, lunch, and now dinner uh, Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, that's in a Green Tree uh, shopping center. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed and uh, Professor Emeritus at the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schumann, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. It's great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So we're going to talk about current global events, and let's just start off. Uh, you're currently, I should remind our listeners, that you are in Tel Aviv, Israel, right now. And uh, the elections last week, I was hoping you could comment on, on uh, what happened and your thoughts on that. Absolutely. So in the elections, the coalition led by Benjamin Netanyahu, the former prime minister, uh, got a majority of the seats. In, in the parliament, which means he will come back as prime minister in a week or two uh, when he forms the new government. Um, he got it for two reasons. Number one, the parties that were opposing him to some extent fell apart in the sense that they, they, they didn't unify with each other. Two of the parties that opposed him uh, fell below the electoral threshold. That means, in other words, in the Israeli system, you have to have a certain number of votes in order to enter parliament in other words, you have to have like four parliament members in order is the minimum number you have. Mm. So what happened is hundreds of thousands of votes of those who oppose him uh, got lost, didn't get lost, but were not counted effectively. So he ended up with the majority. Um, it's a very right-wing religious uh, government. It's made up of you know, his main party, which is Likud, which is the nationalist party, and then an ultra-nationalist party, and then and two parties that have come up from the ultra-Orthodox. Um, and so it'll be a, a bit of a change, to say the least. He's never had a, an, a party that has been so, a government, excuse me, <clears throat> that has been so extreme in terms of the make makeup of its uh, members. Now, Lapid, I think his name is, was his opponent. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, his government was made up of an Arab coalition. Is that one of the reasons it fell apart? Well, no, it fell, well, it fell apart because actually some of the the coalition was quite large. It included a fair number of right-wing uh, members of the parliament, and it included on the left side, um, I call it left, but it's not really <clears throat> an Arab Islamic party. So he was attacked for having an Islamic party in part of his government, even though Netanyahu wanted to try, try to do it himself, but wasn't successful. Mm. Um, so there was a, it was a convenient target. Another convenient target was um, there have been a more terror attacks recently, um, and um, just a convenient, you know, inflation, as you see in the States, whoever's in power loses out when there's inflation, right? Yeah, in absolutely. Words, the, the electorate has turned to some extent against the Democrats because of inflation. It's turned against the current government here because of inflation. Everywhere in the world, you know, throw the bums out because of inflation, even though the bums have nothing to do with inflation, so... So, uh, Mark, the rate in Israel is actually lower than it is both in the United States and Europe. So, so the, uh, the Netanyahu is uh, was, I think, in going through a trial of uh, for corruption charges. He's still under trial and corruption, and um, the Israeli law is very interesting. It had a loophole that said if you're a, if you're a um, minister, you can't serve 
if you've been indicted. Mm -hmm. But the prime minister can serve. The reason it was created was it was created because they didn't want, if the, if the prime minister is forced to resign, the government falls. And they didn't want a situation where the government falls because someone was indicted. No one, even when they wrote the law, even imagined that someone who's under indictment would, would run again to be prime minister. But uh, so the law sort of, it's this strange loophole that's allowing Netanyahu to to become prime minister again, even though he's under trial. Most legal observers believe that the he'll be found guilty. Well, the members of his coalition want to pass a law retroactively, making the crimes that he theoretically committed no longer a crime. Huh. So... So, Mark, could you opine a little bit about what this may mean for the Middle East and for uh, Israel going forward? Well, okay, so it's it's an interesting question. So for the Middle East, it's, it's not clear. This is a very right-wing government. They'll probably try to annex uh, the West Bank or talk about annexing the West Bank, even though they'll get pushed back from the rest of the world. Uh, we'll see a country that is uh, more religious in terms of laws that will be passed that will... Um, limit certain things that have been tried by the new government. Um, it will be a government that will have support of not, you know, 50% of the country. But it will be a stable government because there's enough votes this time in order to keep a stable government for the next four years. Mm. What it's going to mean in terms of Iran is a big question at the moment, in terms of the Iran um, nuclear program. Um, and um, let's put it this way. If the previous government, the government that, that just lost, um, had done very well in terms of reaching out and making new ties with the rest of the world, uh, this government is going to find it much more difficult to do so. So um, we'll have to see. Mm -hmm. Let's put it this way. As someone who's in Tel Aviv, the people in Tel Aviv are not happy, to put mm -hmm. it mildly. Hmm. Is, you know, so, yes. is Tel uh, Aviv considered to be a more liberal area? Or <laughs> yeah, it's clearly more liberal. Tel Aviv is more liberal. I mean, it's made up of people who are, by and large, not religious, and by and large, very much tied into the world economies with, you know, the high-tech sector is all located in Tel Aviv, so all the high-tech workers um, from what, you know, it's called Israel the startup nation, but in fact, Israel, Tel Aviv has a home for Facebook and uh, Amazon and Google and all the major national organizations have large R&D facilities in Tel Aviv or the metropolitan area. Mm. So. Okay, so I'd like to continue the discussion about uh, elections. Before we do, need to take a little co uh, commercial break. Can you stick around, Mark? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now and find out more by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. So uh, right now, let's move to the Brazilian elections. Uh, happened, and uh, many people are not pleased with the results, or at least with how the process was handled. What are your thoughts? Well, it's a 50-50 country. Um, it sort of reminds us of the United States these days. And um, this time, it went from one side to the other. It went from a brightest candidate to a far-leftist candidate. Um, and this is like, like I, like I said last week, this is like if you went from Trump to Bernie Sanders, mm. as opposed to, to Biden, for instance. Um, so it really went went all the way. Um, it's accepted that it was a fair election, and there was some concern that Bolsonaro wouldn't accept the results and pull a Trump, so to speak. But he did accept the results, and he's um, ordered a transition of power. So. Um, It'll be another change, a wild change. It's a wild ride for Brazil. So it has, um, like has I said there, last week, it needs, it needs a good centrist mm-hmm. to come to power in the country. So there's a, uh, there were a lot of protests, a lot of people in the streets. Uh, has that kind of quelled down at this point? Yeah, that's quelled down. I think that was organized protests. I don't think it was coming from the people. I think it was organized by by the government to, to oppose the transition. Um, but... Um, People voted, and uh, clearly um, Bolsonaro did not win. Yeah, his so, um, his opponent was uh, convicted for corruption, and I think actually did some jail time. Wasn't didn't? Con- well, okay, but it, it, his conviction was overturned, so mm-hmm. um, it was probably it was most likely political. Um, but yeah, I'm not a fan of either of them, quite honestly. Like I said, I want someone in the middle. I'm a, I'm a centrist in my general political views, and I hate the fact. You go from far right to far left. I think it's terrible. Yeah. One of the consequences is now that all of South America has pretty much gone socialist. Yeah, it depends on what you define as socialist, though. You know, it's like one of those... Uh, it's like saying that Denmark and Norway are socialists. They're not socialists. They're capitalist countries with, with very large, uh, a very large safety belt. Uh, safety net, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so socialism, remember what socialism is. Socialism is the is the owning of of the major means of production by the government. Right. That's real socialism. Right. And we forget about that. We call everyone a socialist, but they're not socialists. Socialists, socialists in the United States would be would be if the government um, 
took control of uh, all the major banks and all the major you know telecommunication companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that would be socialism. No one call, no one's calling for that in the United States, and no one's calling for, for that in any of these countries. Yeah, they want bigger bigger social nets, um, European style. Let's put it that way. Which um, you can argue whether it's good or bad, but we shouldn't call it socialism. We should call it you know. Else. How about cronyism? <laughs> no, I don't think it's cronyism per se. I mean, cronyism, is cronyism capitalist cronyism, is, is that's Russia, basically. Hmm. Um, that's Russia. That, that, that defines what Russia has been for the last 20 years. Um, and it used to be a little bit more so China also, but now China is, really, China is turning into communist again. But that's a different story. Yeah. Let's, let's move to the Ukraine and what's going on there. So the Ukraine, the Ukrainians are making slow but ever so slow progress in the Kherson region. The Russians have been targeting the civilian infrastructure and have been fairly effective <clears throat> to a large extent due to Iranian arms. I mean, think of this topsy-turvy world where Russia is dependent on Iran for weapons at this point. Hmm. Um, and um, they've been getting these drones and now getting some missiles, we think, uh, from Iran. And they're using them against um, Ukraine. Russia itself seems to have run out of most of its own weapons and can't seem to supply its troops. There have been stories in the last couple of days of of hundreds and hundreds of um, casualties uh, amongst the Russians. Uh, the newly the newly drafted Russians have been sent straight to the front, and they've been massacred by the by the Ukrainians, um, literally. Yeah. And so that's starting to f- filter back into Russia. And we'll see what sort of effect that has. So uh, there seems to be more backroom talk about peace talks and be an encouragement for peace talks. I know this is something that you you resisted because of uh, the, the aggression on the part of the Russians. But what are your thoughts? There was no background talk. Well, there was a bunch of commentators, particularly on the uh, it's a couple of tech people and a couple of people on the right. I mean. Who's talking about peace talks? Well, as I understand it, as I understand it, the uh, Biden administration is. No, the Biden has been talking to the Russians about making sure it doesn't escalate. Um, there's no talk. The Biden administration is not pushing for any significant peace talks. They have been in contact with the Russians to make sure we don't end up in nuclear war with the Russians. Hmm. Um, but no, I've heard no one reasonable talk about any chance of any significant peace talks at least until probably the summer. Um, and um, I think it's a mistake at this point. The, the, the Ukra- as long as the Ukrainians want to keep on fighting, they're slowly but surely defeating the Russians, and that's a good thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. And anyone who thinks otherwise is out of their minds, in my opinion, mm. uh, in terms of Amer- certainly in terms of American interests. American interests <clears throat> are 100% aligned with the Ukrainians winning, or as close to winning this war as possible. Um, so, so what? I'm uh, not sure. Go ahead, Mike. I'm uh, Marcus. Cut I, you off. I, I'm not sure where some of these people are coming from, and particularly on <clears throat> some newly elected or about to be elected congressmen saying we'll stop aid to Ukraine. I, I don't even begin to understand where that's coming from. Um, but who knows? So, uh, well, war is war, <laughs> war is awful, and uh, people are getting killed. It would be great if somehow somebody would raise their hand and say, "Can't we sit down and talk about this?" And, uh, yeah, but you have to have two sides to talk about this. You know, it's very nice. War is awful. That's very nice. I agree. War is awful. So is World War Two is awful. Right. Um, but um, you know, I mean, the, there are some fights that that have to be fought. I'm afraid. Yeah. And as long as Putin wants to expand his country 
violating all international laws and <clears throat> everything the United States has stood for since World War II. And again, the Ukrainians are willing to put their men um, and women on the line for this. I think any talk from the United States about cutting off aid to them, I think it's almost treasonous. Interesting. So how about, let's let's move to Iran. Uh, they've been in the background and creating mischief of all kinds of mischief around the world. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, two things. One is the demonstrations are continuing in Iran. Yeah. You know, it's not getting as much publicity, but they are continuing and they're not stopping. And the Iranian government doesn't know what to do at this point. Uh, so, you know, I still think there's a real chance that this can end up in a revolution. We don't know. And often with these matters, you know, you don't know until it actually happens. Right. <clears throat> but um, I think it's a real possibility. And number two, of course, you know, they're, they're evil. They're supporting the Russians. Um, they're, they're asking for nuclear support from the Russians. In return, um, we'll have to see. But um, I heard the mullahs you know, are actually ta- moving their families out of uh, Iran at this point. So apparently, uh, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that certainly would... Uh, portend uh, uh, understanding on their part that they might be overthrown. Absolutely. I mean, it's a real possibility. Whether it really will be, we'll have to see. But I <clears throat> I think for the first time in a long time, it's very, very real. And the United States is taking a more activist position, at least um, rhetorically, supporting the, the demonstrations and supporting them. I think the Biden administration is doing as best as they can they don't want to be out front because you don't want to, you know, then say it's all the work of the great Satan, so to speak, which is how the Iranian government refers to the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, look, I think it's been a good balancing act, and I think um, we'll have to hope for the best because if the mullahs go, everything changes in the Middle East. Well, so, so comment on that, if you would. What what impact do you think it might have if indeed the mullahs were overthrown? Well, a lot of things. So let's start with. The issue of uh, you know Iran nuclear nuclear question. I think the Iranians would immediately give up their nuclear program. I uh-huh. think there'd be a rapprochement with Israel, which will re- relieve a lot of tensions in the Middle East. I think they'd cut off Hezbollah in Lebanon and would force the Hezbollah to become part of just a political party in in Lebanon. Uh, they'll stop supporting terrorism in different parts of the world. Um, the conflict with Saudi Arabia and the Emirates would pretty much disappear. Um, I think it would usher, it would usher in uh, a period of um, peaceful relations in the Middle East, which we haven't seen uh, for a long time. Uh, the, you know, the Iranians have this view that they want to reestablish their empire. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll have to see. But I'm optimistic. I think it's something that might actually happen. Well, that's encouraging. Uh, any comments on North Korea? And, and of course, they're tied at the hip to Iran. Yeah, it's so hard to know. You know, you're talking about one man deciding everything. I don't understand what their end game is at the moment. I mean, and what they're forcing is they're forcing Japan and 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 South Korea and the United States to to deepen their relationship in terms of defense and everything else. So I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish. And, you know, people argue, well, they want to make sure that no one invades them and they stay independent. But no one has any plans to invade North Korea. Right. Right. I mean, there is no such plan. No one is. Has any has any thoughts of doing that? The only way the North Korean government falls is internally, and we have no idea if that's even even possible. Yeah. So I don't understand what they're up to. I honestly don't understand what what their goal of all this is. 
Oh, you're not alone. I'm sure many people share that sentiment. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, I encourage you to visit HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app at the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up on a visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are headquartered in Atlanta, but our work is all over the country as well as abroad. We teach young people uh, about ideas of individual liberty, free markets, limited government, private property, and personal character. We do that through our uh, website, which is fee.org. Uh, there we put daily fresh commentary and content about uh, world events and economics, history, and other subjects. And we also have in-person events 
that take place um, around the country and abroad, as well as, uh, especially since the pandemic, a lot of online events as well. Yeah, no, I know. You know, it's so, so encouraging to see young people celebrating liberty and freedom and uh, personal responsibility and to, to be at one of those events just is absolutely astounding. If you have a young person in your life, uh, high school or college age, introduce them to the website fee.org, F-E-E.org. So, Larry, you wrote a great piece, When Equality Becomes Evil. When can equality become evil? Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Equality is a great thing, a virtue, uh, in fact, when you're talking about equality before the law. That's the idea that we should all be judged uh, innocent or guilty of something we've been accused of based on whether or not we did it, not according to race or religion or place of national origin or other irrelevant factors. We all want the blindfolded goddess of justice uh, to never peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, justice should be delivered uh, fairly and equally uh, to all people. But that's very different from equality in terms of economics uh, or material wealth. Uh, There you have to expect people to be unequal in a free marketplace because we're very different people one to another. We're not all the same. Our talents are different. The degree to which we uh, work and uh, put forth effort differs from person to person, as well as um, Uh, our savings versus our spending. I mean, if we equaled everybody tonight in terms of material things, we'd have inequality in no time at all uh, for that third reason alone, because some of us would spend it and some of us uh, would save it. So uh, you don't want equality in economics because the only way you could bring that about is through the, the use of force and coercion. You'd have to tell people, now, don't you excel, don't be better, don't be different, don't be there first, don't be so inventive and innovative that people will like your product more than the next guy's because then you might earn more. I mean, that would be a prescription for uh, economic disaster and impoverishment. So true, Larry. I mean, and I just think back to the Constitution. You have uh, the equality in opportunity, but how we want to spend that equality, our own freedom, is very much dependent upon ourselves if, if uh, in fact, we're pay- being uh, loyal to the Constitution. And some people, you know, some people don't even want to make a lot of money. They, they have different, you know, they pursue other things <laughs> besides making money. So we should all have the right to pursue our happiness, as the Constitution says, uh, individually and on our own. That's right. And even when it comes to opportunity, uh, you look around and you find there are natural inequalities. In in this sense, for instance, uh, if I choose to live on the north slope of Alaska, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to have the same opportunities as if I'm, uh, you know, right out right outside of New York City or mm-hmm. or at a uh, in Silicon Valley. So where you choose to put yourself or where you choose to stay, uh, just your sheer location uh, helps to determine what opportunities are before you. But, of course, in a free society, you get to change those things. You can pull up stakes and move where the opportunities are, and uh, uh, that's, that's a great virtue, too. But, uh, but this idea that everybody should be equal or near equal in terms of the material things they possess uh, is a giant in- disincentivizer because it would say to people, uh, if you do really well, then you're the one that gets punished. Right. You even quote F.A. Hayek here is saying there's all the difference in the world between treating people equally and attempting to make them equal 
Well, the first is the condition of a free society. The second means, as de Tocqueville describes, a new form of servitude. Yep, absolutely. And Milton Friedman, the late economist, also addressed this very famously and, and memorably. He said, the society that puts equality before freedom will end up with neither. Yeah. The society that puts freedom before equality will end up with a great measure of both. And, of course, he was alluding to the fact that when you have a free society, you get things like a very broad and growing middle class. You have uh, opportunities for the poor to move up, uh, as well as for the wealthy to get even wealthier as long as they serve customers. So you get, you get more economic equality if you don't pursue it, if you pursue freedom and give lots of people, give everybody the opportunities to uh, move forward on their own initiative. Right, and to struggle through the process as well. Now, you had a, a terrific, uh, I hope you'll go to fee.org and just check out uh, this column. It's absolutely terrific. But also, uh, Larry Reed's speech, six, uh, Seven Principles of Sound Public Policy, is on the website there. And it is just absolutely terrific. I was wondering, just with a couple of minutes left, you know, sometimes we don't understand that we have talents, and we discover it later in life. You tell the story of the Kellogg, Kellogg's Rice Krispies and uh, that company. Could you uh, just share that story with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, I've never run into anybody who could say that they've never eaten something made by the Kellogg company. That's how incredibly influential that company has been in the marketplace. We've all eaten some, uh, a Kellogg something or other. But it was started by the younger brother of a pair from uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. The older brother was the uh, founder of a hospital and sanitarium in Battle Creek. He was regarded as uh, um, maybe a little eccentric, but nonetheless uh, very famous and, and, and uh, well off. The younger brother was sort of written off early as not likely to go very far, didn't seem to have any ambitions. He went to work for his older brother at the hospital. And one of the things he had to do was to prepare the breakfast food. And it was by a formula that the older brother had uh, prescribed. And every night the uh, younger brother would come in and make the stuff and cover it. And the next morning he'd take the cover off, cut it up and serve it. And it would come out as a very moist gruel. Uh, but um, one night he forgot to cover it. And when he came in the next morning it had dried out, ran the rolling pin over it, it flaked up. He had no choice but to serve it that way. And lo and behold, the customers loved it. They liked the crunch, mm -hmm. and they kept asking for it. And finally, uh, he left the hospital, formed his own company, and started selling Kellogg, Kellogg's cornflakes uh, around the country and abroad. And, of course, both the, uh, the product line as well as uh, the employment and the opportunities at the Kellogg company just mushroomed from there. And he became one of, of America's 20 wealthiest countries I mean, uh, citizens, I should say, um, in this country by the 1920s. Yeah, and he kind of had his life under a bushel working for his brother, but it turned out he was a great marketer as well. Yes, he was. <laughs> Just a terrific story. And uh, so sometimes, uh, you know, Cervantes, as I understand, wrote uh, Dante Quixote in his 90s. So uh, sometimes we find ourselves later in life, but uh, there's always an opportunity. And uh, Larry, I just, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. And I hope you'll visit fee.org, F-E-E.org, and take a look at uh, when equality is equal, or uh, when evil, when equality becomes evil. And take make a point of uh, taking a look at the uh, video, uh, Seven Principles of Sound Public Policy. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit visiting with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence is one of only 97 restaurants worldwide to receive Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award, and they've received it for the eighth consecutive year. Blue Provence Restaurant is temporarily closed for renovations due to damage from Hurricane Ian, and they look forward to serving you again in the near future. In the meantime, you can enjoy their Grand Award-winning wine list with unbeatable prices on more than 2,500 wines by visiting Blue Provence Fine Wines at 1234 8th Street South, Monday through Saturday between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Check out the vast wine selection by visiting Blue Provence on Facebook or visit the easy-to-browse website blueprovencefinewines.com. Visit blueprovencefinewines.com or if you need help, you can call Jacques directly at 239-821-6772. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired to beautiful Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and began writing murder mysteries, and they are terrific. Uh, the first is Follow the Leader. Its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and his latest is No Problem. Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Bob. Uh, you know, just talking to someone in Naples, Florida, makes me feel like I'm in Naples, Florida. Although I understand the weather, weather up there has been very, very nice. Oh, it, it's been in the 70s all week. Uh, no humidity. It's just uh, a splendid time to be outside and uh, outdoors. And most of the county is outdoors. And, and plus, we have the leaf leaf. Uh, coloration just peaked in fact they began to fall yesterday so you have that that smell of uh, leaves in the air it's just uh, if you're if you don't have an allergy it's a wonderful period well fantastic you know uh, tomorrow is election day and uh, yeah. anticipating a red wave i've been admonished down here not to use tsunami because of uh, ian coming through but uh, <laughs> what to get your thoughts yeah i mean it's no surprise you know i may i make a uh, pro and con list of both parties, like on my top 10 reasons for not voting 
for Democrats. Biden is uh, one. His vice president is two. Uh, Leah Thomas is on the list. You know, the cultural wars. Uh, my my Republican list, your readers will love this. For me, not uh, liking Republicans, uh, Trump is at the top. Um, and underneath him are, are, are you know, January 6th. So, so I'm, I'm like a... Uh, an old-fashioned uh, Reagan Republican that has, feels like uh, I don't have anybody uh, to vote for. But but one big, big issue for me is the war in Ukraine. It disturbs me greatly that there are elements in the Republican Party that are against further spending for defeating Russia in the Ukraine. And uh, one, of the, one of the reasons I hear is that it costs too much money and there is much to do at home. And I did the math, and the war in Ukraine for the U.S. is a huge bargain. I mean, I, I mean, it's cost us $18 billion total so far. Um, and to give you a comparison, the, the Persian Gulf War cost $116.6 billion. The Iraq War cost a trillion. And Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness program this will blow your socks off, is $400 billion. Yeah. So, so my solution is if you want to fight inflation, you have to curb the, but, the butter side because of the economy because the gun side, we're, we're really not spending enough on the gun side. And there's no better place to start than the new Republican uh, Congress uh, blocking this ridiculous loan forgiveness. I mean, I mean, um, yeah, but you know, Jim, I'll say this, you're, you're making it a binary decision. And I think there's other choices we have. I mean, we are, we are ignoring such, so many important parts of our economy. Just speaking of guns, for example, we, we are not properly funding the military right now. We have so many needs in that front. Of course, right now we're seeing the the cost of uh, borrowing money going up and up and up. I think it's taken it's costing more right now to to fund our debt than it is to fund the military. So uh, you know, in that sense, it makes you wonder. Where does Ukraine come out in terms of the overall scheme of things? We don't even have the money in the first place for $31 trillion in debt. Yeah, well, I, I am being binary. I'm just trying to make uh, an ex- example that, that the Ukraine spending is minimal and the impact is great. Mm-hmm. Because I think Putin is a, is a, uh, uh, a uh, embryonic Napoleon. And so, so to... Uh, Cut his legs off from under him at a discount is really a wonderful accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, to your to your point, I mean, there's lots of Republicans can do it. I mean, it, it starts with uh, the ridiculous um, regulations that Biden has imposed that oh. have crippled the economy, the yeah. energy sectors, the uh, all kind, you know, all the sectors. So hopefully. Um, we can reverse all of his decisions and move ahead with uh, maybe some some weeding out of the regulatory garden, getting rid of a lot of uh, rules and regulations that are that are just hurt the economy and don't really help the public. You know, uh, Cruz, the guy from uh, the American Enterprise Institute, uh, made the comment that we actually spend on average more on regulations. I think the cost of regulations under Biden is $1.5 trillion. We spend more on in regulations than we do on taxes here in the United States. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, my um, regu- preferred regulatory 
uh, model is the, the Commodities Future Trading Commission. Uh, they identify a goal, you know, that would be beneficial to the market. And they say to the players in the market, here's what we want. You figure out how to do it. Now, on the opposite side of the coin is the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is dominated uh, by lawyers. And I love lawyers. I have lawyers in my family. But they're thinking their thinking is different. It's, um, we think this is good for the markets, and we're going to write this massive regulation and shove it down your throat no matter uh, what the cost, and no matter that maybe you have a, a brilliant idea of how to get there um, in, a, in a simple fashion. So the problem with, with heavy-handed regulation is in all corners of our government, and, and it's turned our our capitalistic system into what's a crony capitalistic system. Right. Because some companies benefit from these regulations because they hinder competition. Like it makes, you know, if you have to spend a, a zillion dollars on lawyers before you open the doors of a proposed business, uh, there, you know, that there is a, a, a hurdle uh, to, to uh, free enterprise. And, and, you know, we have to get rid of that stuff. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend who has uh, uh, investments in biomedical stuff, and uh, he's going through some trials. He decided to take them over to Italy. It cost him $1.5 million to complete the trials as opposed to keeping them here, where it would cost him $11 million. That's pure regula regulatory cost, quite frankly. And here's the other problem, too. Uh, these regulatory agencies, the uh, alphabet agencies, they're, they're not run by elected officials. They're unelected bureaucrats. Uh, yes, and these bureaucrats are, you know, I know people who work for the federal government and are appalled. I have friends at the HUD, for example. I mean, a lot of these bureaucrats are just not working. <laughs> they're, they're, they're collecting a paycheck. Yeah. So it takes three times as long to get anything accomplished with government as it does in the private sector. Yeah, it's really something, Jim. So uh, I, I like your, your your point, though, is a good one. And we just need to take a look at our uh, hopefully this new Congress when it comes. And I have such high hopes that we get these new elected officials come in, new broom sweeps clean. Uh, and yet you look back in history and how many times we've had new people come in and they just don't do anything. They they think they're going in to clean up the swamp and they find out they come to believe that it's a it's a it's a uh, 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 whirlpool or a, 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 a sauna of some sort. A tar sort. pit. How about that? <laughs> yeah. But, but you, yeah uh, you know, the old adage is that Congress is 435 mayors. There's a lot of truth to that. So hopefully the Republicans can cooperate among themselves and get behind a, a hand, at least a handful of proposals and, and really do the country uh, some good instead of squabbling, you know, interesting battles. Uh, we've seen enough. We don't need them. Absolutely. Jim, I'll tell you what, you're really shining an interesting light on this subject. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show, and I do want to remind our listeners, get Jim's latest book. It's called No Problem, A Fantastic Murder Mystery. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to visit with our state senator and soon-to-be president of the uh, Florida Senate, Kathleen Pasadena will be on the show. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us as well, as well as my wife, Linda, will be joining us as well. Uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. 
Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's one of the ways we get the word out and uh, reward our advertisers. We couldn't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you And don't forget to vote, by the way, or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.